was a client of mine, an immigrant. And he said to me, Barry, do you invest in the shares? And I said, no, mate, why would I do that? And he goes, you're a fool. Now, he had over $400,000 worth of shares. I said, how did you get started? He goes, I just started with a dollar. And I just started to reinvest. And I started to investing my time into reading because I've got a stockbroker. The stockbroker started to give me collateral on a Friday every afternoon and he would say a list of companies, who to add, who to stop. Now, I don't have the time to Google all those companies. So they'll give me the company to go into to read about it. That definitive moment, I'm like, you know what? If he can do it, I can do it. So we just started a bank account and then all of a sudden just trickled money in there and then I started investing and I started to read a little bit more about it and then I just was intrigued. It's like Pandora's box. You don't know what you don't know. It's like, I need to learn more about this. And you look at it collectively. You've got, look, I'm not the most intelligent person. I'm not going to come up with an app myself to make millions and millions of dollars. Well, I'm just going to mirror image what successful people are doing. Yeah. Stock market, super or houses. Yeah. That's generally where wealth is made, right? Hi, and welcome to Australian Financial Focus. My name is Barry Wilkinson, Director of Statewide Wealth Group. Your ego is not your amigo. On today's show, we've got Christopher Ridgway, who's a senior investment advisor. So for anyone out there that's looking to invest into stocks or shares, wants some advice and tips and tricks on how to start, please enjoy the episode. I just want everyone to know that this is a general advice. It's not financial advice. I would recommend that you talk to your professional financial advisor, stockbroker or accountant for any financial advice. This is just Chris and myself having a bit of a chin wag and it's just general advice. To get in touch with Chris, go to Shore and Partners. It's Christopher Ridgeway or you can get his contact details on the Shore Notes. Mate, just for the people out there at the moment, just for the start, what are shares? Right. So there's four main asset groups that people invest in in their life. Money in the bank, their primary place of residence. If they are self-employed, they'll buy a business or business premises. And the other one is the share market. And there are a lot of pros and cons to the share market. There's a lot of uh, rumours about the share market, but it gives you the opportunity to, to invest some money into some of our more profitable businesses around Australia. So you might get, if you have a, an interest in mining, you might have the opportunity to buy some shares in BHP or Commonwealth Bank or, you know, there's a lot of fintech stocks at the moment, Zip, Afterpay, all that sort of stuff. If you have an interest in that space, you have the opportunity to own a part of that business. And the overall goal to own shares is to have it making more money than if it was just sitting in the bank. So if we think that mining is going to be very good for the next four or five years, we would recommend our clients look at buying mining stocks. If we think banks were going to recover from the tough time they're having at the moment, we would recommend our clients buy a portion of banks to put in their share portfolio. So it's owning a tiny bit of that business and that means you're entitled to a portion of those profits. And those profits can be redistributed to clients in the form of either capital growth or in the form of a dividend. Which I'll get into Mate, what is the ASX and uh, how does that work? So the ASX is is an acronym for the Australian Stock Exchange. The Australian Stock Exchange is the business which moderates payments for buying and selling of shares, makes sure people get the share certificates they're entitled to, and it's a general marketplace where people look at prices of buying and selling shares. Is it the top 200, correct? So the ASX has thousands of companies listed. Yep. 
the press mainly focuses on the top 200 and they have what's called the, the ASX 200 index and that's the one that you see on the news going up and down in the squiggly line. Um, but there are thousands of company shares. I think the ASX has got a market capitalisation or the, the total worth of all the shares listed there is about $1.5 trillion. Wow. So it's a very large investment. Having said that, it's less than 2% of the world's stock markets or both. So we are very small in world terms, but we are a very sophisticated market here. If we've got the ASX top 200, is that where majority of people invest in? Is that why they're the 200? Yeah, look, the ASX 200 is the 200 largest companies listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. There are superannuation funds that have a mandate that they can only invest in the top 200. And a lot of people tend to stay in the top 200 because they're larger, they're more liquid, they've got a bigger balance sheet, they've got a better track record. Is it a turnover thing? It's value. It's value. So so if you've got a company worth $40 billion, it's certainly going to be in the, in the top 200. I think the top 200 comes back to sort of about five or $600 million worth in a company. So if you've got the ASX here, yep. America's got... America's got NASDAQ. The, the, the NASDAQ and they've also got three or four different levels of, of, of exchanges there. And if you go to Europe, you've got the AIM market in, in the UK and you've got secondary markets there. You've got the German stock exchange, you've got Tokyo, you've got China. There's tons of them around the globe. So why is it that when the American president speaks, yep. he can influence the market? Why is that? Well, America, China, they're the largest economies in the world. So if the US president tells everybody that the US, the US market is going very well, people think, well, that's a great place to have some money invested. To th- so they will try and invest in that momentum or, or the positive um, US environment. And if you, you remember back to when Donald Trump was first elected as president, he made some tax cuts. So company tax was reduced in the US, which means they didn't have to pay as much tax to the government. I mean, the profits of the companies went up, which meant the share price went up because they were worth more, they had more profits. So that's how a president like Donald Trump can make an influence on share markets. And what's the incentive for a company to go on to the ASX or to be listed on the stock market? What's the incentive there? Why would a company do that? So there's a couple of reasons. Um, If you are a company that is requiring a lot of capital to grow, it can be done in a couple of different ways. You can borrow money, but then that puts a certain risk on you to repay that money, or you can go out and find people that want to invest in your company. If you've got a really good story, uh, that will be well received by the general investment market and you have the opportunity to demonstrate that through brokers or, or other ways, then the opportunity is to invest in or to, to list on the share market. It's, it's a very good way to raise a lot of capital if you're expanding your business. It's also an opportunity if there's a large shareholder who wants to actually get out of the business and there are other people that are interested in taking that over to actually go into it. Having said that, brokers tend to view a sell down just to get out of a company as not a great reason to list a company because you then ask the question, why are you selling a company if it's so good? So if a company wants to go onto the ASX, it needs to give projections of what its growth balance sheet and dividends will be over the next four to five years. Depends so, on depends on the type of company too. Ah, right. See, 
if it's a company, we could be here forever. I love this. I know. <laughs> if it's a company, it's already got an operating business. Yes, they have to give projections. If it's a new company or a mining company or an exploration company, they can't really give 100% projections on what they're going to find in the ground. So what they need to demonstrate in in that scenario is that they have what's called a a jork report on a, or a resource that that they know is underground. They now they're going to drill it and determine further what it's worth and how they're going to get it to market. If I was going to invest into the share market, yep, into a company that has just come onto the ASX, yep. um, I know your take on it would be be tread carefully, however, Correct. and read everything that you can. Correct. But what is that? You know, if someone's going to invest a lot of money into that company that's just come onto the ASX and they've given projection of this is what the balance sheet is, this is what our anticipated profit is, this is the dividend, what would be your alarm bells there for so, someone? So when a, when a person is investing into a new company, we probably need to take a step back. So you start asking me the question, how does, how does something get invested in the share market? Well, it's not just a process of opening up an account and throwing some money at it. There's, there's, a, there's a process we have to do where we have to do what's called a statement of advice. Statement of advice goes through your your current understanding of the share market, your um, investment history in the share market, your current financial position with assets, your earning capability, um, your stability of earnings, your risk profile, how much you're prepared to risk to go into investments, and also you need to look at things like where you are in your total lifetime horizon. So if you're a, f- a fellow who's 35 to 40, no kids, own two or three houses, making good money, you know, you've got another 20 or 30 years of, of, of life to live and, and get yourself set for retirement, there's, there's an opportunity for you to probably take, push the, push the boat button a little bit further than if you were 65, you've paid off your house, but you don't really have a great deal of money left, you've got a small super fund and you're on the pension. That's probably not the right type of client to invest in a high-risk new company on the share market. Those people would be more suitable investing in a blue chip, uh, in a blue chip ASX two hundred company that provides them with income and provides them with a bit of capital growth. How does someone open a share account? I mean, you mentioned before you've got to sit with them to find out who they are. Yep. So, yep. okay, why would I go and see a stockbroker? How do I open up a share account yep. as opposed to just getting online and doing it myself? Okay. So there's two paths, as you rightly point out. You can go and go to Comsec or all the other online ones and do it yourself. Or if you genuinely value professional advice and timely professional advice, then go and have a look who's actually a, a full service broker. And it would be a couple of different ways you could do that. Obviously, you can just ring up the ASX and say, who are the brokers that are in Brisbane, or you could ask around some of your friends or family or, or professional associates on who do you deal with and get an opinion from them on who they deal with. Because I think it's really important to understand if they're a good or an average or a, or a bad advisor. You always hear how much people have lost in shares. Yep. No one ever turns around and says, mate, I've just made an extra 40 or 50 or 60 grand. So we've got a little saying in the advisory world that, uh, all the losses are the broker's fault and all the wins are the client's <laughs> win. Yeah. They take they take the pat on the back for, for choosing the right one yeah. or uh, and if it's a loss, then it's, it's always our fault. It was a good comment that you made before about talk to the people of friends and family that you trust and who they deal with. Mm. That is 
you know, that's fantastic. So, I love if, that. but but that's the thing. If you yeah. have successful family members, successful relatives, successful friends, successful professional peers, ask, ask, how, what are you doing that that, that I'm not doing? Mm. And hopefully they'll give you an honest answer and they mm. won't brush you off. So that's certainly one point. So so then you, you let's say that the path leads to Shore and Partners, Chris Ridgway. How, how am I going to help you? Well, first of all, I'm going to ask you all those questions. You know, how much experience have you had? Um, we can open up an account here. Do you want to be active in the investment process where you and I make decisions together on, on what you want to do? Or do you want to leave it all up to me and we will just put a portfolio together and run it for you? So there's a couple of different ways you can go, you know. So so we run Shaw Managed Accounts where we run a, an international portfolio, we run bank hybrids, we run an, um, a, a blue chip portfolio here that's focused on growth or blue chip portfolios that's, that's, that's focused on income. It depends on how involved you want to go down and that. And your timeline of your hole. life as well. That's correct. How, what's the time, Chrissy? I get that a lot. Yeah. How long, you know, what, what's the process? Someone's to open up, you meet with them. Are we talking one hour, two, three, four? Because, it's, you know. It's- okay. So so normally if you say, right, I'm going to open up an account, it, we will complete the application form. Mm-hmm. Then we'll do with a statement of advice. Which you need to by law, right? I need to have by correct. law. I need to have that yeah. um, so that I understand what my clients' needs and wants are in their financial position. And the online ComSec or, you know, do they still have to do the same? I'm sure they would have to have some sort of online process to yeah. do that. So we open up the account. We set, do, the, do the account opening forms. We get your certified ID. I, I go through the process. We do a statement of advice. We've got that approved from our compliance. So it's all good to go. And then it comes down to me talking to the clients and saying, okay, what sort of interests have you got? Have you got particular ethical issues where you don't want to invest in coal or, or oil and gas because you, you're worried about the environment? Do you have a particular slant to look at alternative energies or, or new financial systems? Or are you just happy for me to, you know, make some suggestions on what we think is a nice middle-of-the-road kind of scenario? So it comes back to communication. It's always communication about what the client wants, what are their financial expectations, and what is their timeline on how long they want to invest and how much they want to invest. When go back to this, when you mentioned about the statement of advice, why that's so critical? Yep. Because it gives you a complete landscape of what the client's personality is like, what their behaviour is like, what do they want to invest in, what Correct. do they want to retire on? Correct. Which is, you know, look, can be daunting for people, but that document is a complete, you know, like cleansing of going, this is who I am, this is what I want. Like I, I just don't quite understand why someone wouldn't sit down with yeah. you to go, yeah. Chris, this is who I am. Yeah. I can afford I want to be conservative, aggressive, or mate, I'm just sitting in the middle. Or yeah. two feet in the, you know, yeah. yeah. And that's side. and that's a really important process that people have to do is that if they're investing money, they actually need to look into themselves and ask, what do I actually want to get out of this? Am I just happy to go along and say whatever? Do people or, need to pay you for that statement of advice, Chrissy? No, they don't. No, they don't. No. How long does it take to do that statement of advice? So a statement of advice, by the time it goes from, from my desk through the process, compliance, it's normally a sort of 24 to 48-hour turnaround time frame. But if I came to see you, it's a, what, 45 to an hour of just conversation? So it's, it's probably 45 minutes to an hour of conversation yeah. and then – the ball gets rolling and, and it goes through to our, our central compliance department and they make sure everything's uh, appropriate and then they'll tick, yes, good to go. And then you've got to count the setup with a statement of advice and we can start buying and selling shares. So one day out of 365 days a year, I can't sit with you for one hour to try and make money. That's right. I don't understand why 
people don't make that time. I mean, we're so busy in our lives. I mean, I get it being mortgage broker. I see it all the time. Yeah. Um, you see a surplus in people's money, but yet we can spend maybe three or four hours at a shopping centre. <laughs> not not saying don't don't do yeah, the yeah. shopping centre, but yeah, yeah. what I'm saying is that, you know, like you don't know what you don't know. Why not spend the time to invest so, to go? So, so, so me more? personally, I value professional investment or or other advice. Mm. I don't go online and try and solve a legal problem if I have a legal problem. I don't go online and try and solve a tax problem or something else if I have a tax problem or an accounting issue. I go to my accountant or I go to my lawyer and say, here's the issue. Can you fix it? And I leave it up to them because I have a good relationship because I've sat down and had the discussion with them. You know, I've sat down with my accountant and say, this is me, this is what I do. You mightn't agree with some of my processes, but, hey, that's me, you know. Mm. So, And same with my lawyer. I've sat down and said, I've got these four investment companies and this is what I do and you need to make sure that it's structured properly so that it works. How often do you catch up with your clients? It depends. So there are some clients I talk to on a weekly basis. There are some clients I talk to on every couple of days. There are some clients I don't talk to for a couple of years because they have a, a portfolio that they're happy with and, you know, we just kind of need to weed and feed it every now and again if there's a company that doesn't look like it's going as well and we've got an opportunity to, to rejuvenate that capital into something that's a little bit more prospective and, and profitable and uh, and a bit more go forward or there's been a fundamental change in, in areas that we like and areas that we don't like in the share market. So, for example, oil and gas hasn't been great in the last six months because no one's driving anywhere and there's no Flying, planes yeah. in, the, in, the, in the sky. So, you know, demand is down, therefore the price is down. So, you know, six months ago if we had clients that were a little bit overweight in, in oil and gas, we would have said, look, Start probably to time to sell down a little bit because mm. it's probably not going to go all that well. And in the same situation, we had a, a scenario where everybody's working from home and they're going, gosh, I need a new computer, I need new this, new that. So JB Hi-Fi has gone through the roof. No, hasn't it just? You know, and so, Afterpay. Yeah, and Afterpay and all those Who things. Who would have thought? Yeah, and, and same with the you know, super retail group where yeah. we can't go overseas, so everybody's going and buying a tent and going out, yeah. out west. So. This is where the value of a good stockbroker comes in. They say, well, we can see these trends happening. So if that's the top trend, let's go and have a look and see what companies are going to be of benefit of to you, those to trends you. that are happening. How does, how does Shore and Partners communicate with their clients? Yep. It's, a, it's an app and I imagine there's an email that goes out to yep. people. So, so we've got a, a number of different levels of, of communication. There are some clients that just want us to look after a portfolio while I go trekking through Italy and get on their boat and all the rest of it. And that's where we run a sure managed account. And they have an update every month on how the portfolio is going and all the rest of it. There are other people that want to be a little bit more in touch with what happens on a daily basis. So we have a morning uh, email that goes out to saying, this is what we've discussed in the morning meeting today. So we have a video conference every morning between Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra, Adelaide, and then sometimes Perth if they're awake. So we have an update every morning on what happened around the globe, what's happening to companies here that are reporting, what companies we're following. We've brought out a new research report. If there's something that's particularly timely from what we've discussed in the morning meeting, so like gold, recently. gold, whatever this, you know, mm. something else, we will get on the phone to our clients that either have investments in that space or we think would benefit from investing in that space. Okay, so you've got the astute investors. They're pretty savvy. Um, but then you've got someone who just wants to start out. Yep. Do they get 
the communication via you each day and each week with a suggestion of potential companies to look at buying? So, so, so what I always recommend when I have new clients come on board is if you want this to be a very good relationship, you have to want to learn. So I certainly suggest they sign up to our daily email. so they get You can a, get that now? Yep. Oh, beautiful. It's called a sure line. Okay. And so, so when, when we have a client come on board, we encourage them to read the shoreline. Um, we also have an afternoon report, so if people are particularly market sensitive, we will also put that on the, on the, the late um, report, which comes after the market's shut. So, so that sort of level of, of contact is uh, a daily email. It's about three or four pages, so it's not over, over the top. So there's plenty of areas for people to get on and look at what's yep. happening. I mean, I yep. personally myself have shares. The common uh, question that I get asked it, as well, uh, yep. as well as, you know, you need a lot of money, which we know is a myth. You yep. don't. You, you just don't. need to start with $1 Correct. or two, yeah. and you need the right advice. Yep. You also need to ask your family and friends of the people that you that they're dealing with, yep. and probably spend that one day out of three hundred and sixty-five days of the year to just invest a bit of time to go. I need to learn more. Yep. But also, Obviously. a lot of people say to me, "I just don't have the time," and that really gets under my skin because I'm like, "Well, if I can find the time now, that time to me every day is literally just for twenty-five minutes to half an hour, just reading. I read the Australian Financial Review. I yep. read, you know, everyone's the same. I read stuff yep. online. Yep. Um, I look at the ASX every afternoon with what's happening, but it's kind of like I find for certain age demographics, if you look at, say, 35 to 45 or 50, it's kind of like you need that set and forget. If you just kind of set up a direct debit going into an account and then you get the information back from Chris from you and you go, oh, hold on, I can see a common denominator here and you'll start to learn a lot more about it. Is that what you find? Yes, absolutely. And, and look, this is, this, is why I've, I've, this is why we have a couple of different options for people. I think it's great if people want to get involved with the whole investment process and, and be a part of the investment decisions. And you know, so we might discuss, do you like mining? Do you like fintechs? Do you like banks? Do you like listed property trusts? Whatever. But for those people that want to invest, but they feel as though they're too busy. That's why we set up the shore managed accounts where we actually have portfolios. And if they have a regular savings plan where they can contribute one or $2,000 a month, they'd be surprised at how quickly that money mm. builds up mm. over time because it's it's that sort of scenario they set and forget saying, I'm really busy. I've got three young kids. I run my own business. I'm still playing sport. When am I going to get time to sit down and read the Fin Review? Okay, well... Spend the day with me or the two hours and we can set you up into the right sort of portfolios and as long as you, you know, make regular contributions to that you stick process, to the game plan. you stick to the game plan, then you can build up wealth and before you know it, you go, oh, look, I've got money for a caravan yeah. or a deposit on a property or a overseas holiday or something like that because it's, it's forcing them to save and save an environment that's outside of their normal bank accounts or something else. Would you encourage a first-home buyer, and we very rarely talk about this on the podcast, first-home buyers, I mean, my nephew was one. Yep. Uh, he may not be in the market for the next couple of years to buy a house and he's either got money in his bank account, which we know is getting less than 1%, if that, in a, you know, in a super, in a, not a super fund, what do they call them? A cash management account or like something like that. Like a cash management yep. account. Yeah. I've suggested to him open up a, you know, share a portfolio and just start contributing money towards that. 
there seems to be an element of fear in him yep. to do that. Yep. And I'm like, I, I can't say to him, look, do it. But what would you say is the most common mistake people do when they buy shares? Is it patience? They want to get rich quick? So I think the most common misconception they have is everything's got to be high risk. It doesn't have to be high risk. I would suggest that the banks, the BHPs, the the large larger companies on the ASX, a pretty sound company with very large balance sheets. Yes, the capital value does go up and down depending upon the mood of the market, which way it's going. But if you if you look at share investment as compared to investing in property, people go, oh, property is always safe as houses. And if you go and look at a 30 or 40 year time chart of where property's gone compared to where the share market's gone, mm. they virtually track each other within a couple of percentage yeah, points. Yeah, yeah. So there's a great misconception. I, th- I think what people have to understand is if you get more diversity in your portfolio and you invest in 20 good companies, that's going to lessen the risk and you're going to put a little bit here and a little bit over there. That's the really important part of investing. You know, you're not going to invest in speculative startups all the time unless you are very, very savvy in that space. Give me your top three common mistakes in people with shares. Top three are they get emotionally attached to a stock and it goes up and then it starts going down. They go, oh, no, but it's going to come back. Don't be emotionally attached to a stock. Use it for what it is. Go from point A to point B. If it looks like it's fully priced and may go down with the risk factors, take your money and do something else. Don't be afraid to sell at something even if it's at a loss because if it's going bad for a long period of time, you're going to be down and out for a long period of time. And this is that emotional attachment to a mm. stock. If it's mm. going bad, tip, take the money and get out mm. and move on. There are unfortunately situations where best advice, best foresight can't predict something's going to happen. Well, who would have thought Afterpay would have been at $9 in March, now it's, what, Correct. 72? Correct. And who would have thought that the world would have come to a total standstill mm. this year because of a virus? Mm. No one could have forecast that. So, you know, you look at Qantas or you look at Flight Centre. Flight Centre not that long ago was $50, $60. I know. It was under $10. Now, it was under $10 because of no one being able to travel. So sometimes... Shit happens, you know, and mm. so that's certainly one 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 fault. Mm. The other issues I see sometimes is people get really set on a a price. You know, if a stock's sixteen fifty two, they want to buy it at sixteen fifty. Is the two cents going to make a big deal if it goes to twenty dollars? No, but you're always going to rue that decision. I should have bought it at sixteen fifty, but I didn't want to pay up two cents. Mm. That's another common mistake I see people. They try and be a little bit too cute. With, with the pricing. And the other, the, probably the third mistake is they try and be too cute with timing of the market. It's time in the market, not timing of the market. UBS did a study um, of 40 years of, of markets movements. So we got, what, 250 trading days a year? About 200 days of those were just a random walk up and down depending on what the headline was or what the mood was or what gold did or something else. Couldn't really justify why that share price had moved. It was just random day. There was only 40 or 50 days where that stock really moved. And that stock really moved in those 40 or 50 days because a commodity price changed, there was a takeover offer, there was a, another sort of corporate event or something else like that. So how is 
somebody from the general public going to choose one of those 50 days and know that's the day to buy. Do you find that some of the stocks are seasonal? Yeah. Why is that? I mean, let's look at north of the Tropic of Capricorn. Come November to March, rains every day. So if you've got a mining company that's in the far north of Queensland, your production's going to be down in the wet season. So wet season goes to about March, so that means that the earnings in that first part of the year are not going to be as good as the second part mm. of the year when everything's dry and you get all that dry weather through wintertime so they can crank up the tractors and the excavators and the mining processes. So that's one thing. You've also got other companies that maybe are, are more related to an agricultural process. So as you know, agriculture is a seasonal process where you get certain times of the year where you're getting product off the land and other times you're not. You're not. Mate, how uh, how do you get paid? So so we get paid either per transaction or looking after a portfolio. So if you go down the path of having short managed account portfolios or in international and anything else, we get a certain percentage uh, on the amount of money invested. The other way, this, which is a more traditional way, is, is brokerage where if you buy a share, say you buy $10,000 worth of a company, we might get a $125 or something like that commission. Right. So it's actually quite minimal. Out of yeah. 10 grand, 125. Yeah. Is there a common age bracket that you see people entering into buying stocks? Yes. It's when people have become settled in family life, married, kids, age, career, and they feel as though they, they've, they've got to start putting something away for school fees, holidays, mm-hmm. retirement, something else. And they go, okay, I've got my house. I know my mortgage. I'm working hard. My pay's going up. I've got all the luxury trinkets I think I need to satisfy my ego at the moment. (laughs) So what am I going to do with the rest of the money? I can leave it in the bank or can I make that work for me a little bit harder? Because they understand that there's only a certain number of hours in the day they can work and if they've got a little bit left over, why don't they make that money work for them? And that normally comes with the maturity in the sort of mid to late 30s. Yeah. So, Chris, when is the perfect time for people to be entering into the market? Yes, it is as soon as you earn money from, you know, an income. I get that. But general rule of thumb is that you normally find between the age of 35 and onwards when people are settled in their life, they know that they talk to people at work, they surround themselves with family members that are going, yeah, I've got some shares or did you did you see the stock market at the moment or when the ASX was down to 4,500 points when yeah. we had COVID, yeah. now it's at 6,300. Geez, you've missed actually the boat there. Yeah. And it's actually talking to people about how they did it. That's yeah. when people start to go, hold on a second, I need to know more. And that knowing more is not by jumping onto Google with all due respect, it's like self-diagnosing yourself. Would you go to Google if you were sick? No, you go to the doctor. See, I always find it funny that people are prepared to put themselves in 80%, 90% debt to buy a house. So they're making an investment of $500,000, $600,000 now to get into the property market and most people have got maybe fifty grand, a hundred grand tops saved up and they're prepared to go into the, mar- into the market $500,000 worth of debt on a $600,000 property. Yeah. That's not risky, but to invest twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars into the share market, they view as risky. And the only reason that they have a fear about it is because they don't understand the process. And so this is what this whole podcast is about: is it about unlocking the fear of investing? You don't need to invest five hundred thousand dollars. You need to invest a small amount and get comfortable with it, 
and then take it in steps to make it bigger. Like it comes back to spending that one hour a day. I would, my encouragement here for anyone that wants to get started into the stock market personally would be doing your home budget. Once yep. you do your budget at home, yep. you will find majority of people have some type of maybe surplus. And I'm sure you could cut things out your life to get ahead in life. Now, what I mean by that is that getting ahead in life is maybe, maybe having a little bit of money tucked aside. If you can allocate three or $400 per month, or even if it's only $200 into it, you wouldn't put it into savings account because you're only getting 1% if that. Well, why wouldn't you put it into you know, dealing with someone like Chris and go, well, why don't you put that $200 into a good blue chip share like, you know, BHP, Rio Tinto, yeah. CBA, we'll talk about that, right. um, and get a, get get them to give you a dividend back and then you keep reinvesting. I remember obviously when I came to Australia as a quite a young boy myself with my family, I never forget this moment as long as I live. My mum and dad were banked with CBA. I was only nine, eight at the nine or ten at the time. My my dad said to me, and they were sitting at the kitchen table. He goes, "Oh, I said, what's that?" And he goes, "That shares. It's the CBA." I said, "Well, what's that?" And he explained it to me as best as he could. Yeah. Shares at the time with CBA was seven dollars. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I always say to him right now, okay, before the before COVID hit, as you well know, Chrissy, CBA shares at ninety dollars. Correct. Now I remember, and I always say to my dad. You know, imagine what if, and we still he still kicks himself. But it was a great lesson for me. Yeah. But yet, you know, the more stuff you read, if someone had ten thousand dollars in the CBA shares in two thousand and three and just kept reinvesting their dividend back in, before COVID, it was worth ninety eight thousand dollars. That's a story I read on Yahoo. That's right. Why wouldn't you do it? Yep. So the question I've got is that for people out there. Why wouldn't you go back to your budget? Why wouldn't you speak to friends and family? And why wouldn't you actually take an hour out of your day and go, those stories I'm reading, how do I become one of them? Yeah. And the information is there, right? It, it, it's just a little bit of personal discipline. That's all it is. Because as you rightly say, people are prepared to spend money on putting money away on whatever they're buying. Well, this is something that's buying you a bit of future hmm. wiggle room for one of a better room. Well, you know, I mean, I suppose at the end of the day, it's like, well, you can spend the conscious. For me, I said to my nephew is this, stop spending so much time on social media and maybe start spending that little bit more time on finding out what shares are and yep. how it works. Yep. And then when you want to know more, then you go and sit with a professional and go, tell me more. Yeah. And you'll be amazed. Mate, a question I want to ask as well, I'm probably going to put you on the spot here as well. As well. What would you recommend in the share market right now, you've got the tech on the left and you've got the traditional industries on the right. Okay. What would you do? I need to have a little disclaimer first. This is general advice only. This is not personal advice. So anybody that needs to have some personal advice needs to either talk to Barry or myself. Yep. So if you look at the share market in the last four or five years, banks have been doing reasonably well. And people have been overweight in banks because they're quite happy to get the fully frank dividends because banks traditionally have paid out a lot of their income as a frank dividend. A frank dividend is one where the company's already paid tax on it, so you get a franking credit back when you do your tax return. However, 
it's becoming a more and more competitive market in the banking industry as time goes on because there are new companies that are virtual banks and companies that are buy now, pay later. So the credit cards are becoming less and less mm. popular with, with young people because they can go and buy something, have it there and then and pay it off in four instalments. That's scary. Yeah, it is. But it works. So so now at the moment we've got a situation where the world's been turned upside down and the banks have had to show some heart and not collect on on people that are in a difficult situation with the way COVID is at the moment. So they've had to defer all their dividends. And one of the, the real selling points of banks was they paid a nice income. So it comes back to the comment I made probably about half an hour ago, you need to have a fully diversified portfolio. And that means not being too overweight in banks and not being too overweight in other stocks. The people that are suffering now are the ones that have been a little bit aggressive with their investment in banks and not willing to listen to professional advice. We have been selling down banks for the last two or three years. If you look at the share price of banks in the last two or three, it's gone nowhere. Mm. Whereas you would have bought a a Fortescue at $6 and it's gone to $12 or $13. Fortescue being obviously- Fortescue is an iron iron ore um, producer. So if I put $1,000 into a bank account, I'm getting literally less than 1%. And by the time you take in cost of tax and inflation, you're probably getting a negative return. If I put $1,000 into Fortescue, if I put $1,000 into- still CBA or CSL. I don't know if you can tell me this, Chrissy, but what would I get as a return on that $1,000 as a dividend in one year? Statistically shown, is it 5% that these banks pay or 4%? Average long-term dividend from banks is between 4 and 5%. So just to really make this clear, to get started, if you've got $1,000 and you're going to get a negative return, why wouldn't you put it into the share market? That just, for me, doesn't make sense. They need to get over the fear factor. Yeah. The, the beautiful thing about a bank is- It's there, it's, it's, it's solid, it's, my money, I can see it. It's guaranteed for two hundred yeah. a minimum $250,000. So you've got less than $250,000. The federal government will guarantee that if the bank goes broke, your money is still going to be there. Yep. That's not the case with the share market, okay? And that's the difference between the share market and having money sitting in the bank. You've got to be prepared to take on a slight amount of financial risk to get the reward, which is significantly more than just having your money sitting in the bank. So maybe invest money that you're prepared to lose? (laughs) Yes, that's the truth of the matter. And if we go back to your nephew, if your nephew's sitting on $50,000 that he's saving up slowly but surely to put into a deposit for a house and you're encouraging him to make an investment in the share market, Invest five thousand dollars in the share market mm. to start with. Put don't a foot in don't invest camp. the fifty. Invest five. Mm. If you if if the five goes to one or two or something, it's going to be annoying. But it's not going to break his long term goal mm. of buying a property. And this is the thing that people need to understand: is that it's it's all about putting things in context. You've got a a situation where you're the perfect person to probably start investing in the market, but you've got to step over that fence of fear of What's going to happen to my money? Well, statistically, long-term, if you invest soundly and with diversification and with professional advice, you should do at least as well as investing in the property market. But you've got no fear of investing in the property market. Because the, the bricks and mortar are there. 
Yeah. He can see it, he can touch it, he can feel it. Yeah. But but let me let me ask you this. What happens if you've got five hundred thousand dollars fully invested in that in that property of yours and you need to raise a hundred thousand dollars and you're fully mortgaged to the hill? What do you do? You've got to sell the house. So if you've got a a share portfolio, you can sell off a portion of it and you get your money in three or four days. So it's far more flexible than some of the property market scenario. You know, the mentality here, I find people just want to pay off their home. I get it. Don't get me wrong. You should pay off your home. Yeah. But you can pay it off quicker. No one teaches people how to pay it off quicker. The bank give you a 30-year loan and say, leave us be for 30 years. We'll make a fortune off you. Correct. But why wouldn't you, instead of paying the home loan off so aggressively, go, well, look, why don't I might might put an extra three or $400 into a portfolio to see that grow? You know, like if you went back 30 or 40 years, Chrissy, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but what was the ASX back, you know, 20 years ago? 4,000, 3,000 points? A lot lower. A lot lower? A lot now lower. you're at six and a half. Like, yeah. And I imagine your home loan, yeah, you're still paying it off, but- I get that all the time. I'm like, I get it. I've got a home loan and I'd love to be paying it off a lot quicker than I am at the moment, but I'd be able to do it a lot quicker by leveraging shares and a house. That is, for me, it's a no-brainer. It really is. Look, the share market does go up and down, certainly probably more than the property market, but if you have good advice and you have an advisor who has a good feel for the market, he will always find some area of the market which is actually doing okay or, or going to get you a little bit extra. So would you just pencil in maybe once a month to spend a couple of hours yourself looking at your own portfolio, how that's performing? If you have any questions, obviously go back to yourself. Absolutely. So, so you've got to set out some, some – when you, when you start down this road, you have to have an idea of what do I expect out of my investment in the share market? And if you're being unreasonable, you're going to be disappointed. So you have to have reasonable expectations on what you're going to do. You can't go out and think, I'm going to invest in the share market. It's going to double every second year. I'm going to be worth a lot of money and I'm going to have no debt. That's unreasonable and you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. Same thing, you're not going to go and buy a house and it's going to double in value in the next couple of years. It's just, unless it's an incredibly unique property. A gem. It's just not going to happen. Mm. So you have to have realistic expectations. And you have to continue to monitor those expectations as time goes on. So this is the question I've been burning to ask. Where do you see us going? Where do you see it? I mean, you just mentioned there banks have been, you know, obviously the flavour of the month for so many people. APRA have just come out of recent to say now banks are capped at 50% of their dividends, which is going to hurt pensioners, which is going to hurt a lot of people. And you've got afterpay that are coming out to obviously take the rug out from underneath the banks because credit cards are starting to go down. Question I've got for you, Chrissy, is what should people be looking out for now? I mean, where are we going? Is it the you know, is it the tech? Is it the medicine? Is it the banks? Is it what would you do? What yeah. would you suggest? So, this year has been a year like no other that we mm. have seen for a long time. So, so we're living in uncharted territory at the moment from the point of view of of the economy. We've never had a situation where we had to just force people to stop working. We've gone through a very difficult situation where there are a lot of small businesses, a lot of large businesses. Um, have had to just basically park themselves. So so this is an unusual time where the government's had to step in and enforce the banks to do certain 
things I would never really consider, and that is cut dividends. And it comes back to having a nicely diversified portfolio. If you had a nicely diversified portfolio, you would have seen banks come off a little bit. Everything came off in March, a lot. Mm, yeah, you know, but 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 the BWS have shares. <laughs> <laughs> they would have jumped. Coles do. Yeah. <laughs> so so if you had a nicely diversified portfolio, there would have been some parts that have stayed down, and that would be banks. But you would have other areas uh, of you know mineral resources which has gone really really well. So if you had a you know iron ore has done really really well, you've got other companies that are in copper or nickel or you know those sorts of other industrial product they've done very very well. BHP's kind of gone okay. Woodside's done really badly because of oil and gas. Mm. No one wants to start up their motor vehicle or plane or anything else at the moment. But if you'd also had some money invested into supermarkets, supermarkets done well. And it comes back to having a diversified portfolio. I can't predict what's going to be the hotspot for the next this and that or something else. It comes back to having a long-term approach to investing and having it diversified. And yes, there's going to be times it's going to be up and down a little bit. But uh, if you think of the market in, in, in a, you know, a three or two-year time frame, you get a better overall view of it rather than where we are now. So do you think that we're going to have to open the purse strings to, to you know, like, okay, so China at the moment, iron and ore is really popular at the moment because obviously we know that we need to get things back up and running. Do you see that we'll have to do that here to some degree? You know, like, do you think JobKeeper, a lot of companies have been getting JobKeeper. Do you think that that'll have to be put back into economies? And Look, a lot of people have been getting JobKeeper and JobSaver and or whatever, CEO, yeah. whatever it is, all the, all the other bits and pieces, eventually that's going to have to be wound back and people are going to have to go back to work. Do you see the construction industry having to reinvest again? We are not buyers of listed property trusts at the moment because we think that's an area where, look, there are companies that have gone into business so their premises are coming up for rent. We've got not a lot of people building a lot of new homes at the moment because we're not quite sure where we're going to be in six months' time after mm. all this COVID-19, stop, start, stop, start. So we're going to have to get back to a more normalised market before we can really work out where money's got to go, to be just honest. The, nor- the Just that more normalised market where you just mentioned there, do you see the more normalised market where a lot more people will be interested in the tech, given that that's on its own um, ASX now? I, I, th- I, I think what's going to come out of all of this is that some companies realise they can have a lot of staff working remotely mm. or from home and people are happy with that. So that's where we've seen technology retailers like JB Hi-Fi do quite Zero. well. Yeah, all the, all the companies that have got uh, cloud technology, they've done quite well in recent times because people have had to rejig you know, um, what broadband they've got and, and what ability in, in IT they've got. So those areas have gone quite well. And, and I think that's probably a trend that's going to continue to go on for quite a long period of time. So that's an area that we've we've had a, a really good look at and we've got some ideas on, on where to invest in that that area. Gold? Gold, we believe, <laughs> is going to be very strong for the next 18 months to yeah. two years. Uh, there's been a lot of exploration in gold. Uh, people are trying to drill what they can to prove what they can to, to get while it's hot. So that's certainly an area of, of interest for us as well. And look, with the uncertainty around the globe, uh, gold is a, a measure of wealth and a, and a storage of, of wealth that um, has been here for centuries and will continue to be so. Mm. 
but also from an, an industrial use and, and consumer usage, we continue to use more and more gold. Okay. So, you know, there's a, there's a real demand for gold and then there's a store of wealth uh, for gold. When you put those two together, that's why we're seeing the really strong gold price at the moment. So if you're a newbie looking to start a share portfolio, why would you avoid Google as opposed to talking to someone like yourself who's got 25 years plus experience in the industry? So say you're a new guy, you're going to open up an online account, you think a company's going to do all right, you invest 20 grand in it. It's cost you $19.95 or whatever they charge you and you think, cheap, cheap, okay? And the stock goes nowhere for six months and you go, okay, all right, move on. What if you'd come to me and I'd suggested, mate, it's March, after pay was $50, it's now $9. It's going to be back up somewhere and you invested in that and guess where it is now? It's back up to where it was and higher. So that $20,000 that you you took to me and I recommended something or it could have been Fortescue or it could have been BHP, BHP Rio Tinto. Or whatever it might have been that that, 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 I, that we had researched and we'd looked at and we'd done a top-down um, process on it and we've gone, that's where it is, and it's gone up 20%. Well, guess what? You're $4,000 better off apart from my brokerage, which is $250, $300, $400, whatever it is you're still $3,950 better off than you making a decision and looking at the, at the, Saving at, 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 the uh, mm. at the newspaper. And I'll give you I'll give you some real examples of, of that process going through the, the marketplace. So I was offered um, to help a new client from an account. She had about $500,000 to invest in March. She thought she was smarter than me and smarter than Shaw's and smarter than our analytics team and she thought, no, the market's going to come back down. Well, guess what? The market went from $4,600, $4,700 when she was looking at 4,700 points to over 6000 So she's missed out on probably $100,000 or $150,000 of opportunity wow. lost because she was smarter than everybody else. I had another client. She's a really lovely lady in overseas. She works for a large multinational. I give her my research every day. She's turned $30,000 into $120,000 in that time frame. And she thought she was only going to be at 50 or 60 grand. Now, she's twice as far ahead as where she thought she might be because she trusted the advice that we were giving her and she was prepared to go down the path with me. Have you started with the newie? And cast your mind back because you've been doing this a while. Someone comes up and goes, Chris, I want to start a share portfolio. Have that per- has that person turned from $1 into 50, 60, 70, 80 over a period of time? Look, I have. I have had clients in the past that have come to me saying, I'm brand new to this. I've got one particular client, one of my first clients actually. He was a, um, a gentleman about 50 and that was about 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. He's now retired, but he was doing a lot of con- educational consulting work overseas. And he rang up out of the blue and said, I'm getting $10,000 US a month. That is excess because I'm living in Asia and it's very cheap. I want to invest that money. So he invested. We got the process going. He said, I hadn't invested before, but I'm recently divorced. I need to build things up again. He's now happily retired in central eastern Queensland. He's got a house worth 500 grand. He's got another 300 grand in, in the bank because he invested wisely 
over a long period of time and he went on the journey with me and followed the advice that we gave him. That's probably more so than sitting in front of Google and going, how am I going to get ahead? I mean, Google wouldn't even know. Correct. As, as the younger generation, I completely understand. I mean, our phone's on us pretty much 24-7. Everyone sleeps next to it. Yep. It's easier to get on Google, right, than come and see Chris or see Barry or yep. see my accountant. It can give you some guidance, but it can't always give you the information that you're looking for. And... It takes no responsibility when things go wrong. So, Chrissy, if I've got, uh, you know, someone that's looking to start out, what's the minimum amount of money that they should really chap on your door, okay. mate? So, so my, my, my thought process is you really should probably try and put ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 together. And the reason I say that is you can then spread that over three, four, five companies. If you start investing less than $5,000 into a one company, then it starts to get chewed up by brokerage when you buy it and you sell it. Yep. So the other option for people is if they've got sort of 15 or 20 and they, they want to just put into a, a sure portfolio, it then gives them the brokerage, the diversity that they need to reduce the risk and the costs are much lower and something like that. So it might be that, you know, people just getting started out, they, they put it into something like a sure managed account and they do a regular contribution and build it up that way. And once it gets to a bit of a larger amount, then they can sort of buy specific companies for specific reasons. So it's pretty easy. You do the statement of advice, you'll set up an account. They can just set up a direct debit, put money into there every month, every week. And then once you start to feel a little bit more comfortable with how it works, then you start to engage people like Chris. Hmm. Chris, what should I do right now? I've got $10,000. Well, what do you want to do? Well, I just want to put $4,000. Okay, no worries. You won't need it anytime soon. Well, we'll invest it. Chris from Shaw and Partners. Mate, thank you so much for um, taking the time to come and see me. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. You can contact me on barry.wilkinson at swggroup.com.au or if you Google Statewide Wealth Group, Barry Wilkinson, that will come up and it will show you the links on how to get to me. It's quite easy. Jump onto our website if you like in our blog section on Statewide Wealth Group you'll find some wonderful blogs that we've recently put up, some tips and tricks and some information from my business partner in relation to the financial planning sector. Fire us any questions. There's an area within our website that you can ask us any questions that you like and uh, feel free to subscribe to this podcast. If you can rate it, if you could, please, that would be really appreciative and uh, feel free to send it amongst any of your friends and family. Thanks very much. <laughs>